This week's parsha, we have a famous story that all of us know. That Yaakov Avinu came to the house of Lavan, and he saw Rachel, and he immediately fell in love with Rachel. And um, the question is, what was so attractive about Rachel? You know, there's there's such a thing called love at first sight, but. Obviously, when we speak about Yaakov Avinu, we're not speaking about a superficial Hollywood version of love at first sight. So if Yaakov Avinu loves Rachel, it must mean that the Torah is communicating to us that there's something very deep about the relationship, about the connection between Yaakov and Rachel, that Yaakov immediately recognizes that Rachel is his soulmate. That's our first question. What's the nature of the attraction of Yaakov and Rachel? The second question is, why is Lavan so insistent that Leah marry Yaakov first? That seems to be a big part of the story, and we, we grow up hearing the idea, I know this is a sensitive subject, that the younger one shouldn't go before the older one. But on a deep level, what does that mean? Obviously, Lavan had something in mind, something sinister, because we know Chazal tell us, Bikesh Lavan Lakar Esakol, that Lavan wanted to uproot all of, all of the tenets of Yiddishkeit. Yaakov's, Yaakov was a danger to Lavan, he was a threat to Lavan. So if, if Yaakov is a threat to Lavan, and Lavan wants to uproot all of Yiddishkeit, first of all, where do we see that? As we look at the story of Yaakov and Lavan, we don't really see that Lavan is ever so dastardly that he ever does anything so terrible. But we do see that Lavan wants to marry Leah to Yaakov first. Why is that such a big deal to him? So those are our three questions for tonight. Question number one, what is the inner level of attraction, the inner nature of the attraction between Yaakov and Rachel? Question number two, why is Lavan so insistent that he marry Leah first. And question number three, the final question, is where do we ever see that Lavan attacks Yaakov? Where do we ever see that Lavan wants to uproot Yaakov and uproot all of Yiddishkeit? So there, there's a, a very deep Torah that I want to share with you tonight. And it's the Torah of Leah and Rachel. Leah and Rachel are not just people. Leah and Rachel are representative of two different eras and two different ways of being. So Leah is the Bechina of Mashiach. Leah is the, is, represents the time when Gullus has come to an end, when there's Binyan by Yishlishi, when all of Klal Yisrael is living in Eretz Yisrael under the dominion of David Malchus and Mashiach. Leah represents the idea of leading what we're going to call tonight a satisfied life. There's a, big, there's a big schmooze that's happening today in the world of psychology. And it's the schmooze of being able to be comfortable in life, to be able to be satisfied with where you are. Um, it's called acceptance. You ever hear that term? Like, are you able to accept reality as it is and be comfortable with what's happening in your life? This is not a small thing. It's not a small thing for a person to be able to say, 
I'm comfortable in life. So many people are uncomfortable in life. And when I say so many people, I'm even willing to include myself in this. We have, we have needs to numb out because we're not okay with life as it is. So we'll spend an enormous amount of time on our phones. We'll consume substances in order to, in order to numb out because where I, where I am is not okay. I can't accept life as I know it. The beginner of Leia is to be able to say, I'm okay. This is okay. I have nowhere that I need to be. Everything that I am right now is okay. And that's ultimately, that, that feeling of satisfaction is ultimately expressed in Olam Habo when everything actually is okay. But there's a Bechina of Leia that right now, as is, everything is okay. And that's a very beautiful Midah. But there's another Bechina. Yeah? Leia is to be satisfied. Leia is to feel comfortable, to accept reality as it is. Of course, the ultimate reality that leads to our satisfaction, to our comfort, is the, re- is the era of Olam Abbas, the era of Yemosa Mashiach. But even now, in our state of Gullus, there's value in being able to be present in Gullus and to be able to say, I'm okay, and it's okay. And imagine what it would be like for Klal Yisrael to go on a, on a journey of Gullus, for how many years have we been in Gullus already, for 2,000 years, for us to be in Gullus, and the entire time to be going, this is not okay, this is not okay, this is not okay. That seems to be a very unhealthy way of living your life. A person has to become accustomed to Gullus, a person has to be able to get comfortable in Gullus, to be able to build and to serve Hashem. If there's a constant pressure and anxiety of this is not okay, this is not okay, then you're never going to be able to perform in your life. So there are times in your life when things are difficult, when things are broken, when things feel unmanageable, and to be able to find that spark, that nitzotz of leya imenu inside of us, and to be able to say, and yet, I'm okay. That's a very big deal. It's no small matter. How many people are sitting there with, let's say, for example, struggling children? How many parents are sitting there going, it's not okay, it's not okay, it's not okay? What type of energy does a person bring into their home when they're constantly saying it's not okay? What do you think it's like to be the child of that parent who the parent is constantly saying it's not okay? It, it's not okay. But you can't live like that. A person is ill, chas v'shalom. They need medical treatment, serious medical treatment. It's definitely, nobody here is going to say that it's okay, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable situation. It's a painful situation. There's real agony. Somebody that I love is suffering. Right? These are very, very painful experiences. And yet, if a person doesn't find an inner sense of calm and clarity in those moments, how are they supposed to operate? That's one side of the equation. There's another side of the equation, and this is the side that we're going to spend a lot of time talking about tonight, which is the Rachali Menu. And Rachali Menu represents what's called yearning. Yearning is a very powerful word. I just want to sensitize you to the word yearning for a moment and what yearning means. Yearning is a person's hopes. Yearning is a person's aspirations. Very often we're cut off from yearning because we won't give ourselves permission to want. And want is an engine that drives every human being. This is like super important to know. If you would actually want something, like if you would allow yourself to actually want something, 
you would be an unstoppable machine. Nothing stands in the way of will. But many of us won't allow ourselves to actually want something. Because if I actually want it, then what could happen? It might not happen. Or I could get it and I could lose it. To want something is to be vulnerable. Once you acknowledge that you want something, you're already in a position of vulnerability. Um, I'll give you an example of what this looks like. I probably shouldn't give this example, but this is an example that I know will keep some of you on your toes and keep some of you with me. Um, let's say, I'm just making up a case, let's say you're in Shaduchim, and there's someone that you notice. You ever, you ever not notice somebody? You ever do that thing where you're working hard to not notice? Like I notice, but I don't want anyone to notice that I notice. Like someone walked by my field of vision, so I keep looking in the same way so that people won't see me do that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah? So for about the 60% of you that came with me, I want to share with you that I appreciate your vulnerability and letting me know that you're human beings. For the 40% that just went like this the entire time, I admire your capacity to totally either not pay attention or, or I'm not giving away any information right now. I don't know what Rav Berg is talking about, and I'm not going to acknowledge that, that I'm that type of person. But for the 60% of the honest people in the room, I want you to know I appreciate your vulnerability. Why is it so difficult to say to a friend, and you do it like you do it in like a cute way, you do it like this, you're like, what's his deal? I think I might know someone for him. You're someone, right? Asking for a friend. Right, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> Apparently a lot of us have a lot of friends, right? I'm asking for a friend, what's his deal? What's so hard about acknowledging out loud? It's like What's so hard about acknowledging out loud, this is something that I want? Right. There's vulnerability in wanting. The second that I want it, I could lose it. The second that I want it, he might not want me back. That's a really hard place to be. But if you want something, if you've met people that are driven people, what are they driven by? Well, assuming that it's a good thing that they're driven by, right? Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, if you're driven by what you want, you're unstoppable. When you meet like people who are running a startup, you know the difference between startups that make it and startups that don't? It's just how badly you want it. Because every single startup is going to face an enormous amount of obstacles. But the difference between the people that make it and the people that don't are some people say, it doesn't matter what the obstacle is, I'm going to make this happen. That's why if you ever look at the way people invest, right? what do they always want to know? How desperate are you? Like, are you willing to give up everything for this? Because if you are, now I know that you want it. And if you want it, the chances of success are through the roof. People who want something, they yearn for it. They, yearning is not like this passive, like if you think about the word yearning is, yearning is not like a passive thing like, yeah, I want it, but like if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Yearning means that I'm in an active way allowing myself to feel the full range of desire. That's a huge thing. You know what yearning means? It's not okay the way that it is. So we live somewhere between Rachel and Leah. Leah says it's okay as it is. We can be okay when things are not okay. Rachel says things are not okay and I yearn for them to be okay. If you're missing any one of these ingredients, if you're missing any one of these ingredients, if you're not living within that tension of it's okay and yet I yearn for more, then you're stagnant. If you say it's okay, then it's not, it's like, you're not going anywhere. If you're yearning, right, and you're not willing to say it's okay, you're, you're a mess. You're a freight train of disaster because your desires are going to be out of control. 
So you need to say it's okay, and you need to yearn for more at once. The dialectical tension of Rachel and Leah. Everyone understand that? So if, if Leah represents Olam Haba, Rachel represents Olam Hazeh. Rachel is the force that she's buried on the side of the road, and as we're passing by, as the Nabi describes, as we're passing by her, she's crying and she's saying, this is not okay, everyone has to return home. If, if we're on our way out of Gullus, we have to pass by Rachel Imenu, because if we get comfortable in Gullus, as we have, if we say it's okay, how many times have I heard this question from guys in yeshiva, Rebbe, if I'm being honest, I don't really want Mashiach because my life is fine. And honestly, I actually, one girl even said to me, because she heard a class here in Tomer Devorah, she said, I heard that in the times of Mashiach, and don't ask me if it's true or not, because I'm not getting into it now. She said, I heard that in the times of Mashiach, a person doesn't get married and have children. I want to get married and have children. I don't even want Mashiach to come. And, and, and by the way, I totally hear what she's saying. She's saying, I yearn for things, and if those things that I yearn for are not aligned with Mashiach, then I don't want Mashiach. Meaning, how many of us are really tzipisili Yeshua? How, ma- how many of us are really in this room right now saying, I yearn for Mashiach to come. It's not okay the way the world is right now. When things get bad, then all of a sudden people go, Mashiach. But when COVID hit, everyone was like, yeah, we definitely need Mashiach now. Right? When, when, when a war breaks out, people are like, we definitely need Mashiach now. But as long as everything is okay, six months ago, how many people were sitting and talking about Mashiach? If you weren't Lubavitch, how many people were sitting and talking about Mashiach? <laughs> Right. It, 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 I, I, I once sent to somebody, I said, you know, Mashiach is not a Lubavitch concept. Well, no, because also when, like, you lived 120, they asked the question, like, oh, like, did you want Mashiach every day? Right, of course. So then... Right, of course. I'm, I'm joking, but of course. Oh, okay. Of course. <laughs> the, the, idea that, the idea that we're walking around and we're not yearning is because we've fallen into, I hesitate to say this, but it's a true <laughs> statement, we've fallen into a state of complacency because we're okay. And we're probably more than okay, if we're being honest, no? Most of us are probably thriving. Calculate the amount of money, just of cars that exist in your driveway. The amount of clothing that are in your closets, here and in America. When, when we came for Shabbos, when we, we, when we came for Shabbos, and this is not throwing shade on anybody, when we came for Shabbos, my daughters stayed in the dorms. My daughters came wide-eyed downstairs to the meal. They're like, Abba, we've never seen anything like this. Because they're growing up here in Eretz Yisrael, they didn't, they didn't, they've never seen that amount of shoes before. And they've never seen those brand names before. They're like, ah, but girls really have Gucci. I was like... <laughs> it's every room. It's every room. There's, I, I totally understand why we've fallen into the state of complacency. Because as long as they're not marching down the street with Nazi flags like they just were in Madison, Wisconsin, so then most of us are sitting there and going, it's fine. It's fine. Why should I do anything that's not... It's fine. I totally hear it. It makes sense to me. But when a person falls into the complacency of it's okay and they're not yearning for more, (laughs) a fundamental part of themselves has been turned off. If you're a person who's going through life and you don't want, it's like chaval. It's the, when you get to see girls who, unfortunately, let's say, are significantly older and they're not yet married, at some point the rejection becomes so large that they'll turn off their desire to date. I'm just going to build for myself this other life. And I'm going to be working, and I'm going to be a balas chesed, and I'm going to be a balas tzedakah, and I have this whole life that I built for myself. Because I can't handle the, 
rejection of wanting someone or wanting something for myself anymore. When you see those people, lo alenu, you'll see that there's certain like spark has gone out of them. Nobody wants to be that person. People don't want to be dull. People are meant to be illuminated. People are meant to be passionate. You can only be passionate when you want something. Passion comes from desire. If you're yearning, you're alive. If you're not yearning, you're dead. Imagine a couple. Imagine a couple that no longer yearns for each other. They just have accepted, this is my marriage. Isn't that the saddest thing in the world? Like, okay, there are dark times. It hasn't always been easy. It hasn't always been good. But isn't there like a part of you that yearns for more? If there's no part of you that yearns for more, it's like, what are we doing already? Like, why are we here? What are we building? The yearning is, is critical. The yearning is what keeps something alive. Is, uh, one of the great Hasidic masters once said that when we all arrive in the times of Mashiach, we're going to miss Gullus. We're going to miss Gullus. Why? Because in Gullus, in, in Geula, we're going to be sitting and going, remember the yearning? In a certain way, yearning is even more powerful than arrival. Because like, when you want something, there's all that passion and all that excitement and all that enthusiasm. When you arrive and you have it, it's beautiful. But in a certain way, the yearning can even be more powerful than the experience itself. That make sense? That's why in our heads, sometimes we do this thing where like, especially like for seminary girls, it's like marriage, right? And like you speak to the seminary girls and they're yearning for marriage. And then you speak to the married girls and they're yearning for seminary, right? There's like, what happened? The yearning and sometimes it's, the yearning could be even more profound than the actual arrival of the thing itself. So in, in the times of Mashiach, Everything is actually going to be okay, but we're going to miss the times when it wasn't okay and we were yearning for Geula. Why is this attractive to Yaakov Avinu? Why is this Midah of Rachel Imenu attractive to Yaakov? And the answer is as follows. Yaakov Avinu is leaving Eretz Yisrael and every bone in his body is saying, I must return. Does, he, does Yaakov Avinu want to leave Eretz Yisrael? Let's start there. Does Yaakov Avinu want to leave Eretz Yisrael? He doesn't want to leave Eretz Yisrael. He has to leave Eretz Yisrael. And as he's leaving Eretz Yisrael, what accompanies him? Haramoria is accompanying him outside of, outside of Eretz Yisrael. He doesn't want to be leaving. He's taking Eretz Yisrael with him. For those girls that are Shunabed and are already in the space of starting to think about returning back to America, there are people that leave Eretz Yisrael, and then there are people that leave Eretz Yisrael, and the entire time that they leave, they're yearning for Eretz Yisrael. The entire time that they leave, they're like, Libi Bamizrach, I'm coming back. So Rabbi Nachman says, everybody is in a state of constantly coming back to Eretz Yisrael. So Yaakov Avinu is leaving Eretz Yisrael and he's taking Haram Maria with him. And everything about, everything about Yaakov Avinu is, I'm coming back. As soon as Yosef HaTzavik is born, what does Yaakov Avinu say? I'm ready to go back. Now I can confront Esau. There's no vision of Yaakov Avinu that doesn't include Eretz Yisrael. So if you ask yourself, is Yaakov Avinu more like Leah or more like Rachel? The obvious answer is that Yaakov and Rachel share the same, the same root vision of reality. The world is not okay as it is, and it's our job to yearn and to make it something more. So when Yaakov sees Rachel for the first time, naturally, it's not love at first sight in the superficial sense. It's, I see in her a reflection of myself. We both have the same way of seeing the world. And that is an exceptionally attractive thing. When you see in somebody else that they have desire and that you share that desire, you share that passion, that shidduch is good to go. If you have, if let's say, I, I know a guy who's dating a girl right now, and this guy is gung-ho on Kirov. 
And he's like, this is my life. I'm passionate about Kirov. I want to be in Kirov. And he met a girl, and she's passionate not about being in Kirov, but she loves the idea that he's passionate about being in Kirov. There's a certain sense of attraction. There's a dynamic there. Right? There's a movement. There's a motion. There's an energy. It just works. It goes. Anything that comes up, they're going to make the shidduch work. Nobody has any doubt that this shidduch is going through. It's just a question of time at this point. Because they share that same root desire. And when they get married, when Yaakov and Rachel get married, what type of children do they produce? They produce children who yearn. So let's look at the life of Yosef HaTzadik for a second. What's the life of Yosef HaTzadik? The life of Yosef HaTzadik is a life of yearning. Let's start at the beginning of Yosef's life. Yosef has dreams, and he shares those dreams with his brother and with his father. What's a dream? My imagination when I'm asleep. What is it reflective of? The what you if you ever want to know, like if you ever want to know like what your values are, daydream. You ever do that where you daydream about yourself? Yeah. You ever go back in your head and daydream about ninth grade? If only I would have been this in ninth grade and I could have been this for four years. Yeah. You ever daydream about what you want your life to look like? Yeah. If you want to know what your yearnings are, look at your dreams. That's what dreams are. Dreams tell you what's important to me in my life. That's what a dream is. Then Yosef Hatzadeh gets a little bit older. He's sold down to Mitzrayim. He's in the house of Eshes Potiphar. And he's about to be nichshol in that Avera. What happens in that moment? What does he see? He sees his father in the window. What stops him from doing the Avera? Because he says to himself, this is not the person that I want to be. Why is that so important? Because what is it reflective of? Girls, was Yaakov Vinu in the window? No. Yaakov Vinu wasn't in the window. Yosef HaTzadik looks in the window and he sees his father. Meaning, my life is designed for me to live this vision. So Mimela, he's able to avoid being in, the, being in the depths of that Avera. Even though he was in the middle of that Avera, he was able to pull away from that Avera. Take it another step. What is Yosef Atatik doing in the jail? The entire time that he's in the jail, what's he doing in the jail? He's interpreting dreams. He's a person that you can go to and share your desires with, and he can interpret them. He could say, I see from this where your life is going. Then he becomes the viceroy of Egypt. And the entire time, what's in his head? The last sugya that he learned with his father, the sugya of Egla Rufa, he's constantly yearning to return to his father. So finally, when Yosef HaTzadik has the right opportunity, after the brothers have been metake in their Avera, by standing up for Binyamin, what's the first thing he does? Is he sends Agalot, he sends wagons back to his father, and he says, I was with you the entire time. What's the Bechina of Yosef HaTzadik? He's the child of Rachel and Yaakov, he's a child of yearning. Anybody know, I, I doubt we're going to get this, anybody know where you see Binyamin's yearning? You see Binyamin's yearning when it comes to the story of Purim. After Achashverosh calculates that 70 years have passed, and now the Beis HaMikdash he sees won't be rebuilt, he makes a suda to celebrate the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, and that the Beis HaMikdash will not be rebuilt. And all of Klal Yisrael participates in that suda. Why is that such a big Avera? Because it demonstrates the lack of yearning. You understand? Kal Yisrael understood what Achashverosh's Cheshben was. But they said, for political reasons, we have to go. 
What is Achashverosh saying, though? He's saying the Beis HaMikdash won't be rebuilt. What is Klal Yisrael saying? Okay, but we have to deal with the political realities. If Klal Yisrael was truly yearning, then what would have happened? They would never have gone to the party. So what happens? This is the way that the Bnei Esav work, Amalek. This is the way that this, the whole story of Haman works. Is they try, Amalek, Esav tries to knock out the yearning from you. So who is it that orchestrates the redemption? It's Mordechai and Esther, who of course descend from who? They're descendants of Binyamin. And the entire time that this is happening, what is Mordechai saying? I know how this story ends. You, Esther Amalka, have a choice if you want to participate. But I know how the story ends because I know that we're constantly in a state of turning towards Olam Abba and I'm yearning for it to happen. So ultimately, it's Yosef and Binyamin that end up defeating Amalek, of course. Because when it comes to the fight of Esau versus Yaakov, Yaakov wins because Yaakov never gives up hope. Yaakov is always in a state of yearning. With this in mind, we can now understand something very powerful. When do we ever see that Lavan wanted to destroy Klal Yisrael? When did he do it? On the night that Yaakov married Leah and not Rachel. Because there has to be an order. You can only be okay after you know that things are not okay. If you're okay, then you're never going to yearn. You have to yearn, and then you have to say it's okay. So Yaakov wants to marry Rachel, and maybe Yaakov will marry Leah, but he has to marry Rachel first. It, it, again, just want to make sure I, I didn't say the point clearly. Let me try again. I want to make sure everyone gets this. If you walk into a situation that's not okay and you go, it's okay. But I yearn for something more. You're not going to do that. Why are you not going to do that? Because from the moment that you say it's okay, you've already said, I don't need this so much. I don't, it's not, it's not, I'm not desperate for this. I don't yearn for this. The moment that you said it was okay, you already turned the volume lower. But if you keep the volume up and you say it's not okay, this is not the way, this is not okay. It's not okay for Hamas to come across our borders and murder 1,500 of our people. It's not okay. It's not okay, and I yearn for a world where a Jew can live in Eretz Yisrael safely. Then afterwards you can say, and yet we have a baseline of being okay. You hear the difference? If you start off and you say, I'm okay. If you're okay, then you're not going to operate. You have to be ready to operate and know that you're okay. That's the order that it has to come in. Once you're acting, you have to operate from a place of okayness. But you have to not be okay to be okay. Does that make sense? I know it's, I didn't say it in like the clearest way. It might be a little bit convoluted. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes? No? Maybe? Because Leia is the beginner of being satisfied. And Leia is the beginner of acceptance. And Leia is the beginner of Olam Haba. And to be able to recognize that even when things are not okay, I'm okay. So yet Lavan comes along and Lavan says, I'm going to marry Yaakov to Leah first. Because even if Yaakov will marry Rachel afterwards, once he has Leah in his life, he's okay. So he'll have no desire to return to Eretz Yisrael. He'll have no desire for Geulah. He doesn't have to bring Haram Maria back with him. I can uproot all of Yiddishkeit because I can turn off the yearning by saying, you're okay. So you lose yearning in that sense. If he marries Rachel first, Lavan understands this yearning is going to be so powerful, the yearning of Rachel Imenu, of, of crying for all of her children to return to Eretz Yisrael. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to say to Rachel, stop crying. Because your crying is so powerful that I'll have no choice but to give in. Lavan has the ultimate secret of how to turn down the dial of desire. Just be okay. If you're okay, then you don't need it to be different than it is. So I'm going to marry Yaakov to Leah first. If I marry Yaakov to Leah first then I'm not going to have a problem if he marries Rachel. So now Yaakov comes and he sees, I married, I married Leah. He says, 
You have to let me marry Rachel. He goes, no, you can marry. You have to work a little bit harder. But now you can marry Rachel. You understand how devious Lavan's plan was now? His whole plan was to take away the desire of Yaakov Avinu to return to Eretz Yisrael. That's all of a Jew. You come, there are girls that come this year. There are girls in this room right now. And you could tell, by the way, who yearns in this room and who doesn't yearn in this room. You could tell, by the way, a girl shows up to class. There are girls that show up to class. They come. They're ready to work. I don't need girls to take notes. But there's such a thing called eye contact. You girls have a gift that you can give to every teacher that sits in front of you, which is paying attention. And paying attention means with your eyes. And so you can tell, as this person who speaks in front of a lot of people, you can tell. There are girls that look at you, and then there are girls that don't look at you, and then there are girls that are looking at someone else or looking at something else, right? It's a totally different, it's a totally different experience. There are girls that come to Sem, and what they yearn for is something outside of seminary. There are girls that come to Sem, and what they're yearning for is something inside of seminary. You can always tell what somebody wants based on how they live their life. You know exactly what people yearn for. Just look at what they do. Does that make sense? So when somebody comes to seminary and they go, I'm okay. I like my Judaism just the way it is. I have no desire to grow. I don't, I don't need to work on different areas of my Judaism. I kind of like, this is it. So when those girls come to Sem, that's exactly what happens. There's no movement, there's no motion, there's no passion. It's, I'm good. I'm not knocking it, by the way. There are people that are authentically like, look, I'm okay, that's fine. But there is a, there is a yearning that you get, and it's like, this is why I love teaching public school kids. When I have the opportunity to teach the TJJ kids in the summer, it's electric. It's electric. Unfortunately for me, it only gets to be my summer job. But you have these 15-year-old guys and girls that come to Israel for the summer. They're coming from backgrounds that are completely different than the backgrounds that you and I come from. And they've made the decision to come to Eretz Yisrael for the summer. The yearning is crazy. Could be 2 o'clock in the morning. I'll be like, i got to go to sleep. Like, I just have like five more questions to ask. And sometimes I'm like, you know, when I'm teaching like the kids who are from, from birth, who come from like yeshiva day school system, I'm like looking at the clock going, okay, I think these girls can handle about seven more minutes of this. The difference is in terms of the yearning. Because sometimes we're so okay, it's like, I'm okay. I'm just waiting to go out. Just, i got to catch that bus. I'm meeting my friend in that place. You know what I'm saying? You're not, it's, Baruch Hashem, you girls are great. You girls are wonderful. You're yearning for sure. You're here. But you know what it looks like. You can, you can pay attention. I'm not talking about in a judgmental sense. Even within yourself. Just look at yourself. Am I yearning or am I Okay. If you're okay, it's not going to be a place of yearning. And there's a good thing to be okay. But if you're satisfied, then that's what it is. If you want something more out of your marriage, then it has to be okay, but it also has to not be okay. I'm not satisfied with this. I want it to be more. I want it to be more passionate. I want it to be more connected, more intimate. I want there to be more, more vulnerability, more seeing each other. I want to spend more time with each other. Fighting for your marriage is a good thing. It's devastating when a couple stops fighting for each other. Sometimes an argument in a marriage is a reflection of how much they care about each other. When a couple stops fighting, it's going to be, it can be a really terrible thing. I had a Talmud who said that to me once. His parents had gotten divorced a year earlier. I said, did you see it coming? He goes, no way. I said, really? He goes, yeah, they never fought. Right. They had nothing to fight about. They had given up on each other over a decade earlier. There was nothing to fight about. A couple that fights is a couple that's passionate. There's yearning. I want more. So why didn't it work? Why wasn't Lavan successful? L'chara Lavan had a great plan. If Yaakov is okay, so then he won't yearn. So how did it work? How did Yaakov Vinu marry Rachel and he wasn't Lachar Esakol? 
So here's the secret. You ready for the secret? This is an amazing secret. The greatest yearning is when everything is okay, and yet you know that something is still missing. That's the greatest possible yearning. Lavan's cheshbon is, if it's okay, there'll be no yearning. The secret of Rachlimenu, the secret of Yaakov Avinu, is it is okay. And yet something is missing. Our marriage is great. We're connected, we spend time with each other, we love each other, we're raising a beautiful family together, we share values, everything is great, and yet we could still be more. So many people yearn from a place of deficit. The secret of Rachel Imenu is that her yearning is so deep that even if everything were to be okay, she would still be yearning. That's the nature of Rachel Imenu. So we always think of Rachel Imenu as Klal Yisrael is going out to Gullus, Rachel Imenu is on the side of the road going, it's not okay. The secret of Rachel Imenu is that when we're in Gullus and everything is okay, she still says, but it could be more. You could be living in a certain town or five of them, and you could be living in a certain place, just to wake you girls back up, welcome back. <laughs> you could be living in a certain place, and you have everything that you need. You have yeshivas and base yakovs, and you have, you have cars, and you have houses, and you have kosher restaurants. And you have every single thing that you need. I just saw a $250 hamburger, kosher, they said it was kosher, which means that a rabbi blessed it. It was kosher, covered in gold. The bun was covered in gold. The meat was covered in gold. It was a $250 burger. Covered in gold. Glot kosher. The mashkiach was there. He watched the whole thing. It was unbelievably beautiful. Two, you have every, if, girls, if we can spend $250 on a burger, I think we're pretty okay. I mean, on the other hand, we're definitely not okay. If somebody says, I think I could sell a $250 burger, and people go, I think I would buy a $250 burger. We're definitely not okay. But obviously we're okay. It's better than not being able to afford a $250 burger. But it's not okay. Can I ask you a question? Not yet. Because okay. I, I, I don't want to answer the question I think you're going to ask. You ask me privately. Okay. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. L'chaim. Even if Yaakov marries Leah first, and even if everything is okay, the Rachel Imenu is so strong that she says, we have to go back to Eretz Yisrael. And this is why once Yaakov Avinu is born, once Yosef HaTzadik is born, Yaakov Avinu says, now we can return to fight Esav. Because the nature of Esav is that Esav says, everything is okay. And Yosef HaTzadik being the child of Rachel, once Yosef can team up with Yaakov, so now Yaakov Avinu says, we have so much yearning that nothing will stand in the way. And that's why, we, how do we wipe out Amalek? We have a mitzvah of zachar. We have to remember Amalek. If everything is okay, what do you forget? You forget what you want. That's what Amalek comes. Amalek comes. How does Amalek cool us off? Amalek comes and says, you're okay. Forget, forget it. You were in seminary, it was cute. You were 18 years old. You were in the seminary bubble. You were on fire. Forget that. That was like a cute kufa in your life. You were a baby. You didn't know anything. You were under the influence. Sometimes you're under the influence out there. Sometimes you're under the influence in here. You're under the influence. You'll see, cool down. No guy wants to date a girl that just got back from seminary because they still haven't landed. They have that lotion, right? Still haven't landed. They're not normal again yet. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes a person needs to bring that back to reality. But very often what they mean is, I need her to cool down from actually wanting something out of her life. 
There's something exceptionally beautiful about leading a passionate life and not forgetting what it is that set you on fire to begin with. So we have to remember in order to defeat Amalek. And this is really what the Yantav of Hanukkah is about. Because the Yavanim, more than anything, what do they want? They want us to assimilate. That's why so many Jews in the times of Hanukkah, they assimilated. You know what it means to assimilate? For a Jew to assimilate means to forget the yearning that I'm, I'm, I'm not okay. If a Jew says, I could be okay, I just have to be like my Christian neighbors. I just have to become secular. I just have to be an atheist. I don't have to go to shul anymore. I don't have to light Hanukkah candles anymore. I don't have to do any of those things anymore. That's not where I am. That's not who I am. I just want to be like everybody else so I could be okay. That means that they're turning off. Assimilation means I'm yearning, I'm, I'm turning off my yearning from returning to my source. Every single Jew naturally has in their heart that they want to return to their source. So that's what we do on Hanukkah. On Hanukkah, we light candles in the darkness. What's the nature of a candle? A candle is always yearning. A candle is always seeking to return to its source. A candle is always on fire that I want to be something more than I am. I, I want to finish with one story. It's a chassidish tale. It's a beautiful story. It's about the Rebbe, Rabbi Yisachar Doiv Ber of Radishitz, who was traveling, and he stopped at a certain inn, and he stayed overnight in the inn, and in the morning he woke up and he said, he said to the innkeeper, I need to speak to you right away. In my room, there's a clock. And that clock that's hanging in my room, it's the most wonderful clock I've ever heard in my entire life. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. Every time the clock was like ticking one second after another, my heart was racing. I couldn't sleep. Whose clock is that? So the innkeeper said, it's, it's nobody's clock. What do you mean? It's a regular clock. So the Radhashitzer said, no, 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 it's not an ordinary clock. You have to find out the origin story of this clock. So the innkeeper said, okay, this lunatic Rebbe thinks it's a special clock, but okay, I'm, I'm an innkeeper. What is the job of an innkeeper? The job of an innkeeper is to satisfy the customers. So the innkeeper says, um, okay, I'll make some inquiries. So he finds out from his wife where she bought the clock. She says, I bought it from a certain second-hand store. And he goes into the second-hand store, and the second-hand store says, oh, somebody, this guy came in to pawn the clock. And he finds that guy, and he says, where did you get this clock from? The Radhashitzer says, it's a special clock. Where did you get the clock from? So the guy says, I got this clock from the Chayza of Lublin. The Chayza of Lublin was the great Rebbe who was able to see, it's called the Chayza because he almost had like prophetic powers. He had Ruach HaKodesh. He was able to see very far into the future. And because the Chayza from Lublin was very, very poor, he was forced to sell all of his possessions, and this guy got that clock, and then this guy sold it to this pawn shop, and then this guy's wife bought it from the pawn shop, and he hung it up in his, uh, in his guest room at the inn. So he came back to the Radhashitzer, and he said, that's the clock of the Chayza from Lublin. And the Radhashitzer started dancing, and he says, this clock could only have belonged to the Chayza of Lublin. Why? Because he said there's two types of clocks in this world. There's a clock that's counting down time, and time is going by, and it's going into the past. Mm. And then there are other clocks. One more second until Mashiach. Another more second until Mashiach. Another more second until Mashiach. Some clocks are counting backwards. Some clocks are counting forwards. It's the clock of the Chayza from Lublin. It kept me up all night, because every time I saw that second-hand move, we were one second closer to the coming of Mashiach. It was a clock that yearned. Girls, we need to have such clocks in our homes. There are people that are just killing time. And it's moving along, and it's moving along. I just got to get through the year. I got to get through the class. It's already 7.17. What's Berg doing already? I got to move on. I have places to go.
And then there are people that have clocks in their lives that say, I'm yearning for something bigger. One more second until I become the person that I'm meant to become. One more second until I'm married. One more second until I have children. One more second until I'm a grandmother. One more second until I can marry off my kids. One more second until I can get my family together for Hanukkah. One more second. They're counting down the seconds until they could become the person that they want. We have to have clocks of yearning, girls. It's the only way to make life meaningful. Okay, girls, have a wonderful shot. Guys, it's